I ready? Okay. I Are I'm, you ready? Yeah, I think I got everything working. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. And welcome to the 1960 Academy Awards. This is If I Ran the Oscars, where each week we take a look at one film that won an award from a given year. We look at what it won the award for, as well as three other random categories, so we get a wide breadth of film appreciation. And this year, we had to randomly select twice. That's true. This is the one we had. Yeah. And our first choice. Our first choice our was first a long sl- shot to have come up. So it is amazing fate that we are getting to talk about this because I probably would not have paid attention to this. Uh, if yeah. No, because the film that we did watch was Ben-Hur. Which we will get to and why it was essentially assured that we would watch Ben-Hur. However, we thought. First, we randomly rolled the best scoring of a musical, which was the film Porgy and Bess. Now, those of you out there who have never heard of this film, don't worry. I honestly hadn't heard of it either, but Mom had. I had, of course, because I I actually knew the um, the song Summertime. Mm-hmm. I knew that song. Which I think people it, would recognize that song. But this was, uh, Porgy and Bess was originally an opera in the 1930s. From George Gershwin. And then made into a film. Made into a film, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, the film itself is basically, it doesn't exist. A there copy does, of this film does not exist. There does not exist a clean, high-quality version of this film. Uh, many are fairly certain that's because the Gershwin estate, who basically had the rights to it because it's, it's his... their property. It's his thing. Had them all destroyed. There are rumors that... A secretary sequestered one of them, but that's never come forward. Right. Uh, so, for the first time, we were physically unable to view the film. Well, and there's not even a soundtrack from the film available. Yep. There's not... Uh, I mean, there just yeah. are no copies. There's other productions of this that we could see, like a live uh, theater production, but that's not the same as seeing the film. Correct. So, for that, I'm sorry, we did have to re-roll, and then... Because of the inevitability of the odds, Ben-Hur came up. Because Ben-Hur won... Ben-Hur won 11 different... Well, it set a record, or... didn't it? It set the record. Uh, last time we talked about uh, the record being set at 9, and now the record is set at 11. Uh, the record would stand until, I believe... Actually, I can just pull In it up. In the 2000s, wasn't it? I can just pull it up. We talked about it, but I can't We did. Uh, Titanic tied... Yeah. yeah. And uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King yes. in 2003. Right. Ben-Hur was the third film to win Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, which would not repeat until Mystic River in 2004. Wow. Yep. I, the director, uh, William Wyler, because he, he did win for this, I was the third and most recent person to win more than two Best Director Awards. After Frank Capra and John Ford. And he's the only person to have directed three best pictures. Did not know that. So he's done pretty good. So what were his three? Uh, Do you have that on your little Wikipedia handset there? I will find out. Uh, Mrs. Miniver, Uh The Best Years of Our Lives, and Ben-Hur. Wow. Oh, wow. He's got best picture for all of them. So, yeah. Pretty good going there. Uh, The film itself... We is should it, say that we're really not going to talk about the plot. We're not going to talk one. much about this one. It's because a, if you're a film history buff, you really just need yeah. to watch this film. Yeah. 
it's if a you little, haven't watched it yeah. already. It's a little long, but... It's a lot long. It's a lot long. It's got an overture and an intermission. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't just keep it on pause while you're waiting for everyone to get ready to watch this film. Go ahead and start the overture. Yep. This film is a remake of a 1925 silent film, which was itself an adaptation of a novel from the eight, from 1880. Wow. Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ, novel by Lou Wallace, considered the most influential Christian book of the 19th century. That's crazy. It was the top of the U.S. all-time bestsellers list until 1936, when it was unseated by another book that turned into a film. Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. It would then unseat it in 1959 after they made the movie. <laughs> wow. It is the first novel to be blessed by the Pope. <laughs> Mic drop. Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Boom. Uh, yeah. Uh, it takes some liberties with stories here. Uh, I described it multiple times as it's for the Forrest Gump, but for Jesus, mm-hmm. where some other character is tangentially related to important history, except instead of American history, it's Christianity. Jesus. And I mean, it's still a very good movie. The parts mm-hmm. that. I do think that there were parts of it that had to be connected to that to make the ending kind of stick. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah, for you sure. Had to stick the you had to, yeah. you had to connect. You referenced Chekhov a couple of times. Yeah, Chekhov's Chek- 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 water water gourd. For Chekhov's instance. water gourd. It's one yeah. of my favorite tropes. Yeah. I uh, let's run down some people who are in this. Uh, first of all, Mister Charlton Heston. He's uh, a big man on campus. Who we also recognize from the Ten Commandments from 1956. Uh, he was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actor in Ten Commandments. Uh, he was in The Greatest Show on Earth, Secret of the Incas, Touch of Evil with Orson Welles, The Big Country, Ben-Hur, obviously, El Cid, The Greatest Story Ever Told, and Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. among other things. He was president of the Screen Actors Guild uh, until he left following... Uh, a discussion where a white person was not allowed to play a Eurasian role, and he called them all racist. Oh, wow. Uh, he later was the president of the NRA. I knew that. Mm-hmm. For a significant amount of time, mm-hmm. actually. Right. Uh, but he's been in a lot of things. He's... He's very much a working actor. Yep. He's got a... He, he does, like, dramatic, I'm going to swear vengeance upon you and all of your bloodline very well mm-hmm. and it's a good thing that that's the movies that he keeps being in because right. right. if he tried to do comedy i don't think it would work no 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 he needs to you know free his he's people. not a versatile actor but he's good at what he does mm-hmm. and it's a, a good thing that the people keep making him do it it takes me back a little bit to our first movie in this series which was the quiet man you mean and, john wayne and you made comments about john wayne's delivery of the character yeah and and I was thinking it was well cast because of the way he delivers his characters. Yeah. You know, not a lot of emotion and and pretty flat. Yeah. And for that movie, that was a very appropriate playing of that mm-hmm. character. Yeah. So in in the same way, I think Heston does his characters in a in a manner fairly consistent. Yeah. I we are getting to see a background guy for the second time. We've seen. Yeah, had a repeat of Burt Lancaster. True. He's been in more than one movie. But Jack Hawkins, we discussed a couple of movies ago as Major Warden in Bridge on the River Kwai. Mm-hmm. He's the explosives guy. 
Yeah. And in this one, he was a very uh, slightly nihilistic, arrogant... Slightly? Slightly? Slightly. Uh, Maybe more than slightly. Maybe more than slightly. (laughs) I... Sea commander who won a sea battle but lost his ship and was therefore thinking his life had no more meaning because he didn't have a ship. And he was saved by main character man and then later on did other things that we won't talk too much about because that's the plot. But boy, was he in it. So it was interesting to see him yep. again. Uh, I noticed the Charlton Heston movies many of which you meant, mentioned but yeah. you didn't mention Soylent Green. I did not mention that's people. I would not I did not mention that one. I apologize. You did it was that not, on purpose? No, it wasn't listed on his list of you know his work famous for on oh. Wikipedia. That's a pretty famous. You know it's like most of his movies there's famous lines yeah. that get stuck. Yeah. You know. You darn dirty apes, etc. Yeah, right, right. I uh, the best supporting actor role in this film went surprisingly to Hugh Griffith playing the Sheik, for mm-hmm. which he, I believe, uh, was wearing significant makeup to make him look like he was Arabian. He got the Best Supporting Actor? He won Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness gracious. Not Masala, who yeah. probably should have. Yeah. yeah. He was probably up for it, wasn't he? No. No? Only him. Really? Huh. Yeah. Wow. Another movie had more than one Supporting Actor nomination. Not this one. Hmm. There were multiple people that I think could have pulled it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I the we'll get back to the guy who I wrote the score, Stephen Boyd. I uh, played the main antagonist, Masala. He didn't act a whole lot because he died rather suddenly hmm. uh, at forty-five. He acted for about for less than twenty years or so. Yeah, yeah, it was about that. I uh, will get back to how cool he is later uh, when we talk about the chariot fights, the chariot scene, because he does some cool stuff. But he also made a very convincing beat-up guy noise. Oh, he did. He was very good at that. Yeah. He, uh, he finished pretty well. We will talk a little bit about Martha Scott. Martha Scott uh, played his mother in this film. Mm-hmm. She was hired specifically because she could cry on cue. Another actress was not given the role because she could not do so. Uh, she has significant experience in film. Uh, she originated uh, the role of Emily Webb in Our Town mm. on Broadway, and then later in the f- the film version as well, oh she my. got nominated for Best Actress. Wow! And she has experience playing Charlton Heston's mom in The Ten Commandments. Oh, <laughs> okay. And connecting those dots, yes. Which, of course, I did not recognize because I haven't seen that movie in a while. Yeah. So that was, con- you know what? Because in was there a Miriam in this show? A character named Miriam? Because that's, no, I don't think so. That's Moses' sister's name. And so then I was confused. Yeah, about that's his mom's name in this movie. The mom was named Miriam. And then in Ten Commandments, Moses' sister is Miriam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, it's all... Conf- and they were the same woman. Yep. No, they were, no, 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 no. Okay, forget no. I said that. I, I <laughs> was interested to look up uh, the guy who played uh, Caesar. Because I thought, he looks like an old guy. He's probably been in some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, he started in film in 1915. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, he took a small break to fight in World War I. Oh my during goodness. During which he got shot in the leg, but recovered and went back into film. He didn't do terribly many big film things, but his last film was Ben-Hur. 
Wow. Six months before he died. Wow. How long did it take to make this film? Oh, uh, we'll get to that. Oh, sorry. Do not worry. I, I Do not worry. It shall get... We shall get there. I just was trying to skip ahead. Sorry. Yep. I... The production of this film is insane. Big. We're just going to call it large. For the time and also for all of cinema. So, originally this film was announced in 1952. What? Mostly because MGM had assets in Italy and needed to spend them. Oh my goodness. So it was starting to... They were starting to get working on it. They had figured out Sam Zimbalist to produce it in 1953, and they originally intended Marlon Brando to be the lead, which I could see. Mm -hmm. He's also got a good dramatic delivery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, they suspended production in 1956 after their first choice of director resigned. By the late 50s, the consent decree was forcing films to divest. Now... You may be asking, what's the consent decree? Yes, I totally am asking that on behalf of all the people on the internet. (laughs) Do you know what it is? Heavens no. Okay, good. That's why I'm asking. It's a Hollywood antitrust lawsuit from 1948. Here's why. Film studios owned theaters. Oh, those little dirty bastards. I'm sorry. And they were... (laughs) Exactly. They were selecting... Which films could be shown in their theaters? And obviously they would select their films. Because they are... Right. Businesses and wish to make money. Right. And so what essentially happened is all of the theater, all of the film companies had to divest their theaters. And this was causing some amount of financial distress. Sure, because right. they can't just control the com- money stream. Yeah, and they completely had to change their business. So, plan. yeah, you got to change in your a gamble plan. to save MGM, and inspired by the Ten Commandments, amazing success, success from Paramount. Okay. who did that one? They decided they would again get cracking on Ben Hur. Filming started May 1958 and wrapped January 1959. That's pretty fast for a film of this scope. Post-production was six months. Wow. The budget was initially seven. It was reported to be ten by million? February. Yes. And reached 15 million by the time shooting began. Holy when Lord. adjusted for inflation, the budget was 133 million. It is one of the most expensive films adjusted for inflation sure. still ever. One notable change, besides the fact that it was widescreen, which mm-hmm. is interesting, none of the other films we watched were widescreen. Something that probably went right past and we didn't notice right at the beginning. The lion didn't roar. The lion did not roar. The MGM lion. Well, because when the film starts, you don't. There's was there even the MGM yeah, lion? Mm-hmm. Right it the was right after the overture. It was right after the overture when he he skipped the end of the overture to the next chapter. And it was right there because I was, was bored and said skip the overture. Yep. Then I wasn't paying attention. What happened is, he was, the director was concerned that the roaring lion would create the wrong mood for the nativity scene. Hmm. And so he received permission to replace it with one where the lion was quiet. So did the lion even open its mouth? Nope, he just kind of hung out. Oh, ha! Ha! So, there was a lot of, uh, they had a lot of writers and people working on getting the novel turned into a film. They were replacing writers here and there, all that stuff. Lots of, like, there's 
there is a section in the Wikipedia page on the developing the movie in the book into a movie, mm-hmm. then a separate section on writing. Wow. So that's kind. There's a lot going on there. Casting, uh, fifty thousand people to act in minor roles and as extras, yeah. mostly from Rome. A total of three hundred sixty-five speaking parts. Only forty-five considered principal performers. He placed heavy emphasis on characterization rather than looks or acting history. Typically, cast Romans with British actors and Jews with American actors to help underscore the divide between the two groups. Huh. I huh. Burt Lancaster turned the role down because he found the script boring and belittling to Christianity. Paul Newman turned it down because he said he didn't have the legs to wear a tunic. <laughs> uh, Marlon Brando, Rock Hudson, Jeffrey Horn, and Leslie Nielsen were also offered the role. Leslie Nielsen? Holy cow, he would have been a young guy at that time. As were a number of muscular, handsome Italian actors, many of whom did not speak English. Hmm. Uh, they originally wanted Heston... For the Masala role, but had to figure it out later. Mom, you n- mentioned Charlton Heston's blue eyes and Correct. how they were striking. Yes. Well, and that's that would be odd for a Jewish person. Yes. Boyd also has blue eyes. He wore brown contacts to make sure they didn't look too similar. Huh. <laughs> I would have lost the bet. I would have thought that they didn't have colored contacts, but I guess I was yep. wrong. Esther is played by Haya Hararet, Hararit. She's Israeli. Mm-hmm. But she uh, had a bouffant. And she was pretty new to film. Uh, she met the uh, director at Cannes. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Uh, they had to persuade Jack Hawkins to be in the film because he was unwilling to act in another epic so soon after Bridge on the River Kwai. Huh. Uh, cinematography, we're going to get into a bit because I believe that's one of our things we're talking about. Yes, it is. They filmed in widescreen. Yes. Which is a pretty big deal. Uh, the director uh, did not like it. The producer and the other MGM guys liked widescreen. The director did not. Uh, he said, nothing is out of the picture and you can't fill it. You either have a lot of empty space or you have two people talking and a flock of others surrounding them who have nothing to do with the scene. Your eye just wanders out of curiosity. The cameras were also very big, obviously. Because it was 65 millimeter film. Yep. It was 70 millimeter film. Oh actually. my goodness. Five more millimeters. Well, it's... Uh, well, the, the MGM Camera 65 does say uh, that's 65mm film, but they use 70mm lenses. Oh. Mm. Uh, yep. Because the film could be adapted to the requirements of individual theaters, movie houses did not need to install special projection equipment. Oh. These oh. lenses cost $100,000 each. Holy moly. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, where do we want to go down to here? Let's see. Costumes. Uh, 200 camels, 2,500 horses. They did a lot of filming in Rome. The script was still unfinished when cinematography began. Okay, wait, wait, wait. They where? shot 12 to 14 hours a day, six days a week. No wonder their budget was wow. ginormous. <laughs> okay, uh, so where did they film the chariot race? Oh, we'll get to that. We're not done yet. What? Come on! Martha Scott and Kathy O'Donnell who is mom and, si- mom and sister, yeah. spent almost the entire month of November 1958 in makeup and costume so they could shoot leper scenes when other shots didn't go well. And they had the cameras up and they just needed something to do. Holy moly. Uh, and then the makeup people did not get paid that well. Yep. Shooting took nine months. Three months of which was the chariot race. That chariot race. I remember watching wow. this film when I was a kid. I uh, Costuming. 
very big deal going on with the costuming. Lots of fabric. I. What do you think about fifty thousand yeah. extras? Yep. So yeah. had to be if we're looking at production, three hundred sets scattered across one hundred and forty-eight acres and nine sound stages. Several sets still standing from the film Quo Vadis were refurbished. Okay, Quo Vadis. Nineteen fifty-one. I love that film. By the end of production, more than a million pounds of plaster and 40,000 cubic feet of lumber were used. The budget called for more than 100,000 costumes and 1,000 suits of armor. The costume designer, by the way, it won for costume design, <laughs> See? oversaw a staff of 100 wardrobe ma- fabricators who began manufacturing the costumes for the film a year before filming began. Yeah. Silk imported from Thailand, armor manufactured in West Germany, as it was called at the time. And the woolens made and embroidered in the UK and various countries of South America. Leather goods hand-tooled in the UK. Italian shoemakers made the boots. Laces for costumes came from France, while jewelry was purchased in Switzerland. More than 400 pounds of hair was donated by women in the Piedmont region of Italy to make wigs and beards. Wow. Uh, A workshop of 200 artists and workmen provided hundreds of friezes and statues. Wow. The mountain village of Arsenazzo Romano was what they used for Nazareth. They had beaches. They did some desert panoramas in Arizona. Uh, the sea battle had miniatures in a very big tank in a back lot in Culver City, California. Uh, two, 40 miniature ships and two 175-foot Roman galleys, each seaworthy. Mm-hmm. Or tank-worthy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the most lavish set was the Villa of Quintus Arius. 45 working fountains, 8.9 miles of pipes. Hmm. Uh, wealthy citizens and nobles of Rome who wanted to portray their ancient selves acted as extras. They got actual aristocracy of Rome to act as act old aristocracy as of Rome. As their ancestors. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, dismantling okay. the set costs $125,000. <laughs> All right. So that's like me wanting to dress up like my ancestors. Yeah. Except not in film. Yeah. I uh, film editing. Yeah, I don't want to be in film. They shot over a million feet of film. Wow. I uh, cutting it down was a big pain in the butt. Well, yeah. Yeah, because... you think? Well, they didn't have editing for the big footage. Uh, the musical score, important stuff there. Uh, by Miklos Rosa, or there's accents over the O's. I uh, he researched Greek and Roman music, worked it into the score. He directed the 100-piece orchestra during the 12 recording sessions. I, As of 2001, which is when this Wikipedia article was probably written, it was the longest score for a picture because there's two and a half hours of individual music. And it was not repetitive. Yep. It was similar in in its tone and such, but it was mm-hmm. not repetitive. At the, at the 2001 time of writing... It was the only musical score in the ancient and medieval epic genre of film to win an Oscar. Wow. Uh, it is the uh, first music film musical score to be released not only in its entirety, but also as a separate album, because they released a listenable album, like a best of. Huh. It, and a three LP version and a one LP version. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Chariot Racing. That was a big deal. Jeez. There's so much is going on here. It was directed by two other filmmakers who were second unit directors on other people's films, and each one of them had an assistant director who was shooting also other footage. Uh, the there was a there's kind of a parade at the beginning. That's not historically accurate. However, 
the sequence before the race begins is a shot-for-shot remake of the silent film version. That's crazy. Mm. Uh, They added the parade to give the audience watching a sense of grandeur and scale. So because the chariot race is a lot of Mm close-ups. The set design is modeled on a circus in Jerusalem, actually. It's 18 acres, at the time the largest film set ever built. It took them a year to carve the oval out of a rock quarry. The racetrack features 1,500-foot-long straights and five-story-high grandstands. Is it still... Does it still exist? I don't think so. That's uh, crazy. The four big sta- there's four big statues. They're thirty feet tall. Nobody wants a chariot guys. track identical in size was constructed next to it and used to train the horses and lay out camera shots. Hmm. Seventy eight horses were bought and imported, exercised into peak physical condition, and trained by Hollywood animal handler Glenn Randall. That's amazing. Uh, most of the horses were Lipizzan stallions. Which are very mm. good horses. Uh, they had a vet, a harness maker, and 20 stable boys. Uh, they built 18 chariots, 9 for practice, 9 for real. They did 100 practice laps to prep for shooting. Heston and Boyd both learned how to drive chariots. They were actually doing it. Heston is a horse guy, uh, so he was pretty good at it. He got special contact lenses to not cover up his blue eyes. So there wouldn't be dirt in his eyes. <laughs> Boy oh. already had contacts in. He didn't care. <laughs> uh, they had six actors with extensive horse experience flown in from Hollywood. Uh, five weeks spread over three months. Uh, they raced a total of 200 miles. Wow. Uh, they filmed the entire thing with stunt doubles in a long shot to show them what it would look like and to show where the close-ups should go. Uh, they hired 7,000 extras to be in the stands. Uh, however, they didn't end up meeting all of them, and there was a riot, because they <laughs> kind of promised them that they could get work, and then they didn't need it. Uh, they used three lifelike dummies to get trampled. That looked terrible. Yeah. I... When I was a kid, that really frightened me. So, the problem of filming, which the cinematography is important to this film. The 70mm lenses have a minimum focus distance of 50 feet. Which is pretty good when you want to be out of the action. Problem, you want to be in the action. They had mounted it to an Italian-made car, so the crew could keep in front of the chariots. The horses accelerated a lot faster than the car did. So they did not have a long time to get their shots, because the horses would just catch up to you. So they imported an American car, which was faster, but not fast enough. (laughs) Okay, that's really funny. So essentially, they shot a ton. It lists the ratio of shot footage to footage used as 263 to 1. Holy moly. That's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, There's a scene where it looks like Heston's character gets tossed. Oh, yeah, over the edge of the car. That is a stuntman. That is not Charlton Heston. But did he really get tossed over, or was it an accident? That was an accident. (gasps) He did not mean to get tossed in the air. However, they kept filming and then cut it together with a scene of Heston recovering and made it look very believable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is mm-hmm. the most major injury, which was like he got a cut out of jail. I Also, uh, Boyd did all but two of his own stunts. Wow. He did the stunt where he's being dragged behind his own chariot. Ugh. Wow. He wore big steel armor. Yep. I uh, but 
then he gets trampled, and that's not him. Okay. And, then, <laughs> and then he died. Yeah. Uh... The shot of him underneath another chariot, holding on and trying to climb up, that is also him. Uh, Honestly, we could probably talk more about this film, but we shouldn't, because again, it's very, very good. So we should probably start doing our rundown of the things what are good about this movie. One, best actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Charlton Heston won for this one. I'm not surprised. No, we're not surprised. Also in the running for this one, let's see who was there. Scrolling very quickly, wasting time. I uh, Jack Lemon in Some Like a Hot, James Stewart in Anatomy of a Murder. I mean, there's James. there's honestly no film on this list that has the cultural impact of Ben Hur. We're true. not that surprised. Uh, first side category, Best Actress. No one from this film was nominated. Well, because it was patriarchal. Patriarchal. There was a lot of guys in this one. The ladies did not do a whole lot. And honestly, well, they did. Honestly, they, the ladies who were in no it, credit. Eh, Esther was not that great. Yeah, yeah really I mean, wasn't. but she she probably had the biggest role. Yeah, but like Doris Day and Audrey Hepburn and Catherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor did not win for Best Actors either. Yeah. So no, this was a pretty good year for ladies. Yeah. Uh, next one, best scoring. I the music was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say that. I uh, it did not have a char the they didn't have a Ben Hur theme like repeating whenever he was on screen no. like John Williams does. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of very individual music, a, a lot of variety, mm-hmm. um, pretty well orchestrated. Yep, uh, it did win for best yeah. score. I uh, Alfred Newman was up this year for Diary of Anne Frank, which basically swept in the black and white category, hmm. <laughs> uh, where Ben Hur got all the color awards. Yeah. <laughs> And last one, best cinematography. Yeah, it will not surprise you. Yeah, to know that it won for that as well. It doesn't surprise me. I they did a lot of work on the set to make it look good. Yeah, uh, they did. They did the matte paintings were believable, and they didn't use matte paintings when they didn't have to, which I think is another good thing. They had some very large film locations. Oh yeah, they had some. Um, some of the early scenes of marching through the through you know between villages and city and stuff. Yeah, some nice shots in those scenarios. Is the Wikipedia page going to have a list of? Uh, it is going to have a list of Academy Awards it won. So I can run you down the eleven best picture. This one obviously best director William Wyler. Best actor in a leading role Charlton Heston. Best actor in a supporting role Hugh Griffith. Best Art Direction slash Set Direction for a Color Film. Best Cinematography, Color. Best Costume Design, Color. Best Special Effects, we got one. Yeah. The only other one up for this was uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Uh, Best Film Editing. Mm -hmm. Best Music, Score of a Drama or Comedy. And Best Sound Recording. Hmm. Because the Foley was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, in the Golden Globes, it got Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor for Stephen Boyd. So he did get one award for this. Uh, it is quite good. It was nominated for one more, so it did not do a clean sweep. Uh, it did not win for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, most observers attribute this to the controversy over the writing credit, because there were a lot of people working on this one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they sh- it shared a special technical Oscar 
for developing the Camera 65 photographic process. Nice. And they got a special achievement uh, Golden Globe for the chariot race. But, yeah, BAFTA for best film, New York Film Critics Circle Award for best film, Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement. This a good movie. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is. In the whole scheme of yeah, film history. Find this one at your library. Mm -hmm. Carve yourself out three hours. You can take a break halfway through to pee. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Wait till the music stops and then you'll be then you know that you gotta come back. Mm -hmm. I unless you have to change our discs. Get the Blu-ray version. I bet you it all goes in one disc. Then the DVD version is two discs. Yeah. Uh, in any case, I wish we could say more, but we really shouldn't on this one. It's very good. It won a lot of awards. It should have. Yeah, and, and new techniques. And new techniques. It's nice to see that. But That's now good. we need to get ready to sign off. Well, then we want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. Bye-bye. Right. Bye.